Um, hey, um, who's um, who's been watching? Uh, uh, what's that? The Maria Kondo? Maria Kondo? McCann. Maria, what's her name? Yeah, um, uh, the cleaning. Sparking joy with Marie, Marie Kondo. Yeah. Oh, sparking joy oh, yeah. with Marie Kondo. Yeah. Cleaning no, I, yeah. I look. I'm. I'm, uh, I've watched the first episode. Um, I felt so convicted. I haven't watched it since. Um, it's, um, it's really interesting. Um, we're coming into the season in church, uh, not in church, but just on the Christian calendar called Lent. And um, I'm not going to talk about Lent specifically today, but it, it's this, um, this area as we go towards um, Jesus on the cross and the crucifixion, uh, where basically what's happening is that um, as Christians, there used to be this space in the calendar where um, you'd make room. So you'd make room for Jesus. There'd be a focus of, um, or a refocus. And one of the things that, um, that Jesus has been working through with me over the last few while was um, continuing to refocus my, my life and my world so that he's the center. And so um, I just wanted to share a little, a little bit of that. So I'm going to start a, a series today called Making Room. Okay, and, and, and it is kind of like Sparking Joy by Maria Con, Kondo. Kondo. I, I feel vaguely discriminatory by not being able to pronounce the name correctly. I'll, I'll figure it out for next time. Um, but there's this process that sometimes happens um, in our lives where basically we take on more stuff than we can handle, yeah? And, um, and have you got that? Who's got that chair in their house? that basically accepts the offering of everything else in the house. It's like the sacrificial chair. It's like, um, you know, for some of us, it'll be the laundry chair. For some of us, it's the pile of papers that go up. We've got, um, we have a chair that's volunteered as tribute for most of our laundry, and it, um, it drowns quite often in our laundry, and it's good. But um, hmm. I don't know why I told you that, I feel. Um, basically... As we head towards Easter, one of the things that I want us to talk about is making room, making room for the important things in our world, making room for the important things in our life. And one of the things that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks is, is making room for Jesus. All right? Um, but the really interesting thing is, is that um, when we look at Jesus' life and the way that he lived his life, he spent his entire time not making room for, uh, not making room for for any, anything, in, he was about his father's business, but the thing that he always made room for was people. People were his priority. People were his mission. It was a, it was a thing that he was always interruptible by. People could always in, interrupt him. Even on the way to the crucifixion, he would stop to heal people. So people are important. Mm. So what I wanted to talk about today is making room for others or making room for sinners. Okay. I want to tell you um, probably two or three just really personal stories. Um, I'm not sure I've ever told them at church before. I know I definitely haven't told one of these stories. Um, but when it comes to making room for others, man, when it comes down to we can look around. We've got some great news, church. When we look around, there, are pl- there is plenty of room available for other people in this, uh, in this environment. We've got so much room for activities. There's excellent room for growth. And when I think about it, and I think about my life over the last sort of 20 or 30 years, there's been um, times where I've had people that have been on my heart, and I've I've done what I could to get people in the room. 
I haven't always been the best at inviting people, but it's something that I'm continuing to work on. But there's been times where the invitations actually worked pretty awesomely. And I wanted to, um, to tell you about a couple, of, a couple of people. Then I wanted to just have one really simple, uh, two really simple stories that Jesus used around people that were lost, people that were hurting, and our attitude towards them. And then finally, I wanted to challenge you guys, knowing what you know now, what are you going to do about it? Now, it's, it's nothing revelatory. It's nothing that you're going to go, oh my gosh, I've never thought of it this way before. All that I'm wanting to do today is just encourage you to go again. Okay? So here's my three stories. I've got a sister. Some of you will have never met her because um, church isn't really her thing. Um, when she was 16, though, her name's Kelly, and we'll call her that because that's her name. Um, when she was 16, though, she found Jesus, like really found Jesus. Um, basically, she, there, there was this thing that was happening at school at the time where there, there, were these, there were these like youth events that were happening at the New Life Church. And what would ha- happen is that kids would go there and encounter Jesus the, and, and encounter the Holy Spirit in such an amazing way that all kinds of messy stuff that would, would just happen. And what would happen on Mondays is that, um, is that the kids would come back and talk about these encounters that they had with Jesus. And it was kind of like catching. It's like, man, oh, you got up to some weird stuff in the weekend. Well, I went to this church service on Friday night and it was messy. There were people like lying all over the place and there were people crying and there were people barking and there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Like it was, it was, it was crazy. And anyway, my, my sister actually um, ended up going into this environment and like um, by this stage, I'd, I'd been a Christian for about 10 years. We'd gone to Sunday school together at a Presbyterian church. And after a while, Cal didn't want to go anymore. But there was something about this encounter with the Holy Spirit that, um, that just really sparked something within her. And so she was the one. There's this one moment in my life that I can remember that my sister was more on fire for Jesus than I was. And um, that's why I never tell it, because it makes me embarrassed. Uh, no, <laughs> my sister's awesome. And it actually got to the point where um, she, she actually really liked a boy at the service, and this was the reason why she came along. Anyway, this is in a um, time where um, um, she'd occasionally sneak out to hang out with boys, because she was like 14, 15, and that was just what Cal did in those days. So anyway, come to this particular Friday night, and my mum genuinely, honestly believed that um, Kelly had snuck out with a boy. That was just what she thought. And she found out that she'd gone to this church with him. And so anyway, my mum went into this church service and, um, you know, all this crazy stuff was, was happening and, you know, people lying down, people crying, people laughing. Like, it was just, like, Holy Spirit was breaking out. I, I wasn't even there. Like, I, my, my background was Presbyterian, so it was, like, way out of my... where I was comfortable. And um, Kelly tells the story... Um, She'd never seen mum so mad, like mad, like Kelly had done some like just normal teenagery stuff, nothing too out of the way, um, but this was the time that she saw mum the maddest. Um, the way that Kelly tells the story, like mum literally grabbed her by the ear, like I mean literally grabbed her by the ear, if you knew what my mum was like, like when she says literally it was like yeah this is, this is happening now, and, and, and dragged her out of the um, church. Um, and to this day, apart from her wedding and a couple of other times when I got ordained, that's the, the, the last couple of times that Cal ever went to church. After that time, she was completely close to it. Anytime I bring up church, even to this day, she gets a little bit upset, a little bit angry and quite twitchy. Like, <laughs> so that's the, 
the first person. I never invited Cal to, I invited her to youth group, but she never really wanted to go. That was, so there's my first person. The second person is a guy called Ben. And about the same age, his name was Ben Thompson. Uh, spelt the same way as me. We used to joke that we were brothers. Um, and um, Ben was awesome. And um, we spent probably two years... Oh, actually, we spent a year fully bullying him, actually. So this, this, is, this, is, how, this is how the evangelism process happened, right? We literally spent a year bullying him. He, he was our friend, but he was that friend that always got roasted. Okay, so he was like the... See, you guys are actually specifically naming a specific person, and I know that you're naming a specific person. You need to stop it. <laughs> All right. Um, and so he was, he was that guy that used to get, used to get, happle, uh, used to get hassled. He was, a, he was a great dude. Like, he was actually just a genuinely awesome dude. But over the course of these couple of years, we actually um, we all um, had these encounters with Jesus, and we actually got to the point where we were starting to share our faith a, a, a bit more. And over the course of this um, two years, Ben went from, no, Christianity is not for me, to the point where it was a Friday, and he was like, yeah, actually, come to think of it, like, the way that you guys have explained it to me, and, that, and, and I've seen the change in your life, and you don't, <coughs> you don't hassle me anymore, and you love me more than you used to, um, yeah, I, th- I think I'm going to go to this, um, I think I'm going to go to youth group with you guys, and it was a Friday, and I remember at lunchtime, there was my friend, um, he came up to him and he was like the on fire guy. Like he was like the straight fire. Didn't have a real good relationship with, um, with Ben at all. And, um, and come up to him and went, you need to go today because if you don't go today, man, if you die tonight, you're going to hell because you're a sinner and you, you suck. And I, like, this, is, this is the stuff that he, that he said. And it was really interesting. I've never in my life seen so much someone that you saw... The eyes glaze over and you saw the door close and to this day we still can't talk to Ben about Christianity on any level. And so it was two years of discipleship, like genuinely getting alongside this guy and then um, there was a guy that just sort of like come on in at the last minute and went, oh, this guy's ready for, he's ripe, he's ready for harvest and, and come in and basically shut the door for him for a long, long time. There's my second, my second friend. My third friend um, is my best friend in the world, or, you know, was until, you know, we come up here, really. Um, and uh, he, his name's Donald. We had a fight together. Um, it was pretty awesome. Um, when we were 11, uh, he won because my nose bled, and it didn't matter how much I punched him after that because my nose was bleeding. It was, you know, intermediate rules, so bleeding nose means you lose automatically. Um, <laughs> I started the fight and ended the fight and apologised to him and basically all he did was punch me and give me a bleeding nose. Um, <laughs> but Don was my friend, uh, is my friend, and um, for 20 years, like, um, he was like, pretty much, I, when it come to when I was 15, uh, when I finally decided that I was really going to go for Jesus, it was at this um, faith festival and him and I both went, we both went to actually chase after this one girl. Um... Neither of us caught her, just by the way. And I made a decision for Jesus, which radically changed my life forever. He, he didn't, um, and our lives sort of started to become a bit more different after that fact. Um, it was probably in the last 10 years. So we'd spent 20 years. We'd go to, he'd go to some of our Christian youth events. Um, he'd come along to church if we asked him. If there were big, big stuff going on, he'd, he'd come along and stuff. And um, it must have been a few years ago, 
And Don actually said to us, uh, me and Chan, oh, hey, I've, I've noticed um, you don't invite me to church anymore. And I've noticed that you don't really try to convert me anymore. And I was wondering what that's all about. Like, because does it mean that you don't care about me anymore? Because this stuff's kind of important to you guys. And so if you've given up on me, well, what does that say about me? And it's like, man, it was one of the most convicting moments of my adult life. And this is, I say those three stories, actually, just um, for something really simple. First thing is, we need to live a life of invitation. We need to live a life where we're inviting whoever, whenever, however we can to get people in the room. Now, what I mean by getting people in the room, it's not winning an argument. What I mean is giving people the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And where that happens is actually not, not so important. If it happens to be on a Sunday morning, that's great. If it happens to be having coffee on a Tuesday, that's amazing. If it happens to be out at the pub on a Friday night, yeah, okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, and so what I want to do, or what I, wanna, um, what I want you to have a think about is, who could you make room for in your life? Who could you believe for in your life? Um, probably more to the point, um, who have you stopped believing for? Who did you used to believe for? And you're like, oh, no, that, that time's over. Mm-hmm. See, um, sometimes we decide for others if they're receptive to Jesus or not. We don't think Jesus is for them, but he was for us, though. The reason that we're sitting here in the room at the moment is because at some stage during our lives, someone cared about us enough to invite us into an environment where we could say yes to Jesus. Um, For some of you in the room, that could actually be the home environment that your parents created for you. Because your parents created an environment where Jesus was talked about and, and, and you prayed, then there was an environment there where you could say yes to Jesus. For some of us, some of us come from different backgrounds where we literally had to be dragged into certain environments. So for me, like I heard Jesus, the word Jesus, a whole bunch at home, um, but was never really referred to as the saviour. Christ even was quite often said after Jesus. God was said. Damn was also mentioned every now and again. Anyway. So here's my... um, Here's my encouragement then. Who are you believing for? See, the thing is, is that Jesus spent a lot of his time um, dealing with two groups of people, right? He actually spent a bunch of time hanging out with Pharisees, who are like the rule followers, who are the ones that thought that they had it all together, the ones that believed that they were righteous because they did this right and this right and this right and this right. And he actually spent a bunch of his time hanging out with them, or more to the point, they were observing him, waiting for him to mess up. Okay? So there's this group of people. The other bunch of people that he hung out with all the time, and it was actually such a huge part, was his disciples, the people that he was teaching about how to live the life that he was living and how to live a life in such a way that it would turn the world upside down. The third group of people that he hung out with were actually the sinners, the lost, the alone, the outsiders. Um... The message that I wanted to, um, or the, the Bible verse that I wanted to, Bible story that I wanted to talk about is actually in Luke 15. 
And Luke 15 has got three of like the best parables in all the Bible. There's like two little parables and then there's a super parable. Okay, And the reason that they're really important is because the people that were in the room at the time, there were the Pharisees, there were his disciples, and then there were the lost and the sinners, right? And these two stories leading into the super parable, which I'm not going to talk about because I, I talk about it a bunch. Um, these stories actually relate to all three groups, right? And one of the things that happens when it comes to parables is the question that we need to ask ourselves is, who are we in the story? Okay? So the three parables, you guys have heard it before. This is not revelation to you. Again, like I said, this is just an encouragement. Let's go again. Parable of the lost sheep. Parable of the lost coin. Parable of the prodigal son. Okay? So these two little parables leading into this really big one. So in Luke, Luke tells the tale of two groups of people. Group one... The tax collectors and the sinners are evil and they know it. Group two, the Pharisees and the scribes are evil and they don't know it or they don't accept it. Group one, the sinners know that they don't deserve Jesus, but they seek him out anyway. Group two thinks that they're better than Jesus, so they judge his every move. They run him up the scales, weighing his actions against their many laws. He measures up to better than a sinner, but worse than a Pharisee. So Jesus is like in the middle. He's an in-between, not as bad as could be, but far from perfect. Group one, the, the sinners, is, is always, um, they're always welcomed by Jesus. He never shoes them away, hurrying to the next event. He lingers with them, asking for a drink of water from a well, entering their home for dinner, attending to their various illnesses. And Jesus' patience with this group angers group two, the Pharisees. But group, two is always, uh, but group two is always welcomed by Jesus as well. They, however, don't really want him around. To him, he's an interloper, a problem, a nuisance. He receives sinners and eats with them. He intentionally dirties himself, um, himself in their presence, taking upon himself their filth. But what they don't see is the same Jesus who eats with sinners talks with the Pharisee. He comes into their space, enters their world, and calls all equally to repent and believe. Um, Jesus receives everybody. Only one group, however, receives Jesus. So Jesus takes his chance to show the heart of God to those who don't know they need him. He tells them stories to sneak past their guarded hearts, and in doing so, he reveals the heart of Christ for sinner and saint, for tax collector and rule follower. He shows us how big the love of God really is. So Jesus goes after the ones. Jesus goes after the ones. So... As we read these stories, uh, my, my big encouragement to you is who are the ones in your life? Who are the people that could be in the room right now? Okay. This is how it goes. Chapter 15, uh, Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering to hear, around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Remember them being these two groups of people, the sinners and the saints, the sinners and the royal followers. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his neighbors and friends together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons 
who do not need to repent. Interesting, considering the context that he's in. And then he goes into the parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice uh, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin are essentially the same story. In each, something is lost, something is searched out, and something is found. Jesus is making a simple point. He came to search and find the one. He came to restore that which was lost. Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous revivalist, puts it this way. The truth here taught is just this, that mercy stretches forth her hand to misery, that grace receives men as sinners, that it deals with demerit, unworthiness, and worthlessness, that those who think themselves righteous are not the object of divine compassion, but the unrighteous. The guilty and the undeserving are the proper subjects for the infinite mercy of God, in a word that salvation is not of merit, but of grace. It then goes into the story of the prodigal son, and I'm not going to go into it, but probably the really interesting thing that I hadn't seen before, and when I did my research for this, um, said, when it comes to the parable of the the loving father, right, the parable of the prodigal son, there are actually two sons, right? Okay, here was the thing that was different, and maybe something that, you know, both sons had attitudes about what the father could give them when the father just wanted to hang out with them. And it was something I'd never seen before. Both sons had attitudes about what the father could give them. See, the reason that when the father celebrated with the son, it was because, uh, celebrated, and then the good son was like, why are you celebrating this? The reason that he was mad was because he was essentially sacrificing part of the good son's inheritance. So it comes to us then, what's our attitude towards lost people? What's our attitude towards those that are on the outside, those people that need Jesus? Are we, are we actively searching them out? Have we given up on them? Have we decided that it's not worth it? See, in these stories, the one who seeks wastes no time. The shepherd abandons the 99 to look for the one. The woman sweeps the house over to uncover the coin. Time's not mentioned. Cost is not counted. All that matters is that one is being returned to many. And when it is, a party is thrown. In all three of these stories, there's a party at the end of it. Doesn't make sense for the parable of the silver coin. A party gets thrown as a result of finding a coin. Well, how much did that cost? More than the cost of the coin. Interesting. It's not the sheep who stayed or the coins in the bank that were the cause of the party. It was the sheep that were wandered, the coin that was lost, and everyone was invited to rejoice. The Pharisees and the scribes don't know how to uh, rejoice. Instead, when they see sinners coming to Jesus, they think that Jesus is too lenient or that he's being too gracious. They miss the wonder of his mercy, thinking they deserve the party instead. So what about us? Can we rejoice in people being made good in Christ? Is there some kind of test that we're accidentally administering and grading that, the, you know, you must be this tall to enter this ride? You must be like this in order to be included in God's kingdom. See, the thing was, was that the Pharisees and the scribes had such a test and Jesus couldn't pass it. Would your tests exclude Jesus as well? So here's my um, encouragement, I guess. 
What does it look like for us to welcome sinners? What does it look like for us to welcome sinners? What can we do in order to be invitable? Uh, like, what can we do to make our lives more, um, uh, uh, make us live a, lives, uh, live a life of invitation? There's definitely some stuff that we can do that will mean that our life is more invitable, that, that, that what's happening is that as a result of the way that we live our lives, um, sinners, people that are on the outside, people who are lost will want to come home. One of the things that we can do is we can get good at telling our story. Our story preaches. Our story has power. Our story is irrefutable. See, the thing was, was with um, my friend Ben. Um, it wasn't actually the arguments that we'd have and the debates that we'd have. At the end of the day, it was the fact that our lives changed and he saw our lives change as a result of knowing Jesus. That was the bit that he couldn't get over. That as a result of knowing Jesus and following Jesus, my life changed. For, for my sister Kelly, it wasn't so much um, the stories of my life changing because she was my sister, so I still treated her like rubbish. Um, what it was, was that she literally encountered the power of God. And that was irrefutable for her. So no amount of arguing, no amount of um, discussion, no amount of storytelling could um, change the fact that she encountered God. She felt God's presence. The Holy Spirit moved within her. And that was why she was moved. For my friend Don, my friend Don, he lives his life in his head. And it's so interesting because in a whole range of ways, like I, I, I genuinely didn't let him meet Shannon until after we were well established in our relationship. Because traditionally we'd go after the same girls. <laughs> it's just true. And one of the things that's happened is as a result of just one choice made at the age of 16 because someone loved me enough to actually um, put me in an environment where I could say yes to Jesus. Our lives have changed by degrees. And now we're in completely different places um, with our faith and in and, and, and our lives. So here's my encouragement to you today, church. Let your life be an invitation. Let you be one that would go up, that would leave the 99 to go after the once. Um, as we see, um, my heart for in here is when we see a new person that they would just be mobbed. Nicely, actually. That's, um, do you know what I mean, though? That they would be welcomed in. That rather than me talking to Jacob or talking to Cole or whoever and having my nice conversation, we always have a lovely conversation. Cole encourages me in a bunch of ways and Jacob challenges me in a bunch of ways, which is wonderful. Rather than that, I'd be willing to leave my, the safety of my environment and actually go out and reach out to the one. Our stories are not a call to judgment, they're an invitation. Jesus came into my life, he changed my life, and he can change yours too. No situation, no circumstances, nothing that's irreparable, nothing that can't be overcome. So here's my question then. Who can you make room for in your life? When was the last time that you actually looked out, looking for the, uh, leaving the 99 to look after, uh, to go after the ones? Who could you get into the room right now? See, if you're not super good at telling your story, there's other people, great people in here that can tell their story in a way that, that will reach them maybe in a way that you're not able to reach them. My story will reach some people, but it won't reach everyone. That's why we need different voices in this environment. Who have we given up on and who hasn't passed our test? 
have we, is, is, our, is our, um, our ideas and our alignment the same as what Jesus would have? My encouragement at, at uh, church and my challenge is let's, um, let's continue to bring people from the outside in. Let's continue to welcome the lost home. Let's continue to do that in every area of our life. Let's do that in our work. Let's do that in our sports. Let's do that amongst our friendships. Let's do it in every area. Let's not wait till Sunday in order to, for people to have an, a, a chance to say yes to Jesus. Let our lives be an invitation into the kingdom of God. So anyway, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you would leave the 99 to look after the one, that you loved us so much, that you would go into our situation and our circumstance, that you would pull us out of our mess. Lord, I just pray that you would give us eyes to see, that our lives would be a life of invitation, that our lives would be uh, outward looking, that we would be able to see those ones that are by themselves, that you would give us the boldness to go out of our comfort zone and reach out for the lost. Lord, that as um, the lost come home, would you give us a... um, an attitude of celebration and lavish celebration. Lord, if uh, the lost come home and, and heaven throws a party, Lord, I, I pray that in our lives and in our church and our environments that we would have that attitude as well. Lord, that we wouldn't count the cost, we wouldn't count the time, but Lord, that we would just go to work. Lord, it, it says in your word that, you know, you call us to go out into all the world to preach the gospel that signs and wonders would follow the declaration and demonstration, uh, the declaration of your work, that those who believe would not be lost, but they would um, be uh, part, of your, part of your kingdom, part of your family, Lord. Lord, for those um, people in our lives that, have, um, that we've given up on, for those people in our lives that we've stopped inviting, Lord, um, Lord, we repent, we change our minds. And God, I, I pray for that renewed faith, that renewed hope, um, that we would continue to speak into the lives of those people around us. Lord, for those, of, for those people in our lives that need just a touch of your power, that need your Holy Spirit, Lord, that as we pray for them, uh, that, your, that your power would flow, not because of the giftings that we carry, but because of your Holy Spirit, God. Lord, let us pray and prophesy with faith and with purpose, Lord, and let your power flow through us. Give us opportunities to work amongst, um, amongst the land, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that this, um, this coming season would be a season where we would welcome the lost home. In your mighty name, amen.